I'm an ex-alcoholic, drug addict, criminal, hustler, womanizer, fighter, liar, manipulator, player, drug dealer, thief, abuser, hypocrite, and a worldly confused individual. My name is Ben Lively. I'm not who I was before. I'm a born-again child of the Most High God, anointed, chosen, set apart, and called to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. I teach Christians the truth of God's word. I'm a mouthpiece for the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not compromise, play any games, or waste time with this mission from on high. I know that in and of myself, I am nothing. I need God for every breath I take and every move I make. I have Christ living in me, and I'm burning with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm different now and forevermore. This earth is not my home. I know that, and I declare it boldly. I'm strong in prayer, praying in power, and in the Spirit. I will preach, teach, deliver, evangelize, prophesy, baptize, and build up groups of believers as God allows. He is working through me as I'm surrendered to His service as an instrument of righteousness. And if you know me or get to know me, you'll realize that I take no credit for this, but God gets all the glory. In Christ I live and to heaven I will rise. Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome everyone. Hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you're listening to Shaken Awake episode 19. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment. And, and listen, if you find any value in today's episode, please pass the news, pass the podcast name and link to a friend, a family member, or colleague that you feel would benefit from the show and become blessed as you are through the words that the Lord shares through these messages. And as always, I promise you another great show, but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord. He is always right there with you, even when you think he's not. So let's get ready to invite him in with us right here, right now. And allow him to speak directly to our heart and mind. So here goes. Here is today's topic. Once saved, always saved. The false doctrine. So many of the greatest preachers have believed and preached on this subject. Many evangelists and Christians have believed and preached on this subject. The Bible teaches all throughout scripture on the subject and proves it. For God wrote it. Yet why do many go to hell because of it? Why is there such division in the supposed body of Christ that cannot agree? Scratch that. Downright dispute and nearly get into verbal altercations over whether or not once saved, always saved, known as the acronym OSAS, is a biblical doctrine or a false doctrine. I'm personally and spiritually passionate about this for two reasons, and they are, one, I almost destroyed my life and went to hell because I believed in it. And two, everyone like my past unsaved self who believe in it, as well as what we'll be discussing today, will go to hell. And I'd like to help avoid that through this message. If it helps one person change their life and a spiritual walk with God, and, and lift the scales from their eyes and sees that once saved, always saved as the false doctrine that it is per the Bible, not me. Then like everything God asked me to do, it was well worth the time spent. Eternity is priceless and so are God's children. May none of you be led astray any longer, at least with this false doctrine. And if you need any validation to see what my life was like, Please revisit my first podcast episode to understand in my own life's context why believing the once saved, always saved can lead a person straight to the wide and broad path that leads to destruction. By the, by the way, I'm referring to hell. I won't go into that again on this episode, but I do encourage you to listen to that episode again, or if you haven't yet, please do. Unfortunately, I'm one out of, I'm sure, billions and billions over time that have been led astray as well, only to die believing they were saved when they were not truly. I do not, at any cost, 
want you or anyone you know to inadvertently follow this false doctrine and carry it to, to your grave like I almost did. If you already believe this is a false doctrine, perhaps you find uh, scripture read today or a few points to share with anyone you meet or know that is having a hard time disbelieving what I feel is one of Satan's greatest deception and lies. I love when God prepares me for these podcasts as well as our helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, both when they confirm and when they convict. It helps me in all areas of life, as, as, uh, of life, as I'm, I'm sure it does with you as well. Uh, just to give you a little hint about what I'm talking about, God placed in front of me uh, two things today to help me understand that this message today is more important today to the kingdom than in any time in the past. Uh, first was Second uh, Peter 1, 20 through 21, which says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thank God that this is true. Second is uh, the other place in front of me today was this analogy. And I, I hope you will appreciate the seriousness of it over the analogy itself, but basically it said that the Bible's not a bag of trail mix. You can't just pick out the pieces you like and ignore the rest. OSAS doctrine is a result of doing exactly that. Selective choosing, ignoring the rest. So once saved, always saved, that many who believe in it, mostly Calvinists and Baptists, they say it's in the Bible throughout. It isn't. It wasn't in the Bible either growing up, yet I believe that as well. The more I venture out and speak to many professing Christians, I find an almost a 50-50 mix with around 50% believing in once saved, always saved as well. They choose some verses, as we'll be discussing today, to back up their philosophy and lifestyle, but they refute the other half of the Bible that provides that the doctrine is a false one. So my hope is that you'll see the doctrine for what it is, not by me, but as outlined in the word of God and as stated by Jesus, his disciples, and many others throughout the Bible. Like many disbeliefs, I don't understand why a self-proclaimed Christian believes in a man-made false doctrine. But like atheism, the enemy has many flavors of deceptions, lies, and blinders he uses to trick and fool us. And this is one of the ones he uses quite frequently especially in today's society. Why do I say this? Because many proclaimed believers I've known during my lifetime falls into this category. And I'm talking about the ones that proclaimed doing so from the beginning of time with our current time being the worst. And they're Christians. And sadly, as I, I try to moderate some Christian forums online and speak to other believers, I'm finding this false doctrine has penetrated through the body of Christ and has been doing so from the beginning of our time. Again, right now, it's the worst on record for being blinded in and of it. I can't sit and keep the wisdom that God, his word, and the Holy Spirit has, has provided me with. I can't keep it to myself. It's not right. It helps no one except the enemy, and no one gains the insight. There are gifts given by the Holy Spirit, of which none are given to keep to yourself. They're meant to be carried out as God has asked believers to do. Become fishers of men, he said. Now, I realize he wasn't just talking about the unconverted or lost, but also those that believed they were saved but were living in deceit and confusion. Therefore, this episode is dedicated to all those out there that, like I had been for 41 years of my life, in the belief that I was saved, that I was a Christian and that I was going to heaven, yet because my belief system was flawed and didn't align with the entire Bible, I was headed for hell. So this might also resonate with you or someone else that you know. And I ask that if you feel led or moved by the Holy Spirit in any way today, that you don't hold it in or keep it to yourself, but share. You can share this podcast. You can uh, you can share it with someone you know. Um Share the verses contained in the episode. Relay this to those that you know and love. God gives us all one chance called life. 
to get it right. Call on his name, follow his word, and to love and run the race that he set before us. So let's see what the Bible says about who's truly saved and who isn't or who can turn from their faith. Jesus said, abide in me. If you stay in me, you'll bear fruit. If you don't stay in me, if you don't remain in me, there will be no fruit. Your branch will wither and be thrown out to be burned. That's in John 15. Jesus is saying, you don't have eternal life. You have life in me. And if you go on believing in me, you'll go on having eternal life. But branches don't have life in themselves as we are all branches. He is the true vine. So I'm not the true vine. I can have life drawn from the vine while I remain in contact with him. So lose contact with him and I've been cut off from the source of eternal life. Oh, but doesn't John 3.16 say the opposite? No, it doesn't. But for 41 years, I believed it did. John 3.16 correctly translated says that whoever goes on believing in him will never perish, but will go on having eternal life. That's how we should translate the present continuous tense in, in the Greek. It's very important. Even John 3.16 is telling us you have life in Christ. You are not the vine. He is. And you remain in contact with him, you go on having eternal life. A very important point. You know, as, as Christians, what we do and above all, what we don't do is risking eternity. There are two places where everyone will spend everlasting life, right? One is with God. The one is without him. One is with the angels of God. The other is with the angels of the devil. And Jesus was so horrified at the thought of anyone going to hell or rather as the Bible puts it, being thrown into hell because you throw trash away. And the Bible only talks about God throwing people into hell, not sending them, throwing them. For hell's God's trash dump for people who have perished, which doesn't mean that they've ceased to exist, but they've become useless for what God's made for them. If you have a drinking cup, that's destroyed or a car tire that's destroyed. It's of no use. You throw it away. That's what God does with people who become useless and utterly useless uh, to him. He throws them into hell. And I think you'll hear a good balance in this episode. You've no doubt heard about the eternal heaven and new earth. It's a new heaven and new earth, but there is a hell, which is also being prepared and God never intended any human being to end up there. It's for the devil and his demons, but there is the possibility that anybody on this podcast or in your neighborhood, in your city or town, in this country, and in this world could spend eternity with the demons and with the devil. It's our job to save them from that. Not only tell them how to be saved in the past, but how to go on being saved and how to be saved in the future. It's an ongoing process of of being saved. One day it'll be complete. Thank God, one day my salvation will be full. And in that day, I'll look Jesus in his face and people will look into mine and won't be able to tell the difference for I shall be like him. As the Bible said, having, having seen him as he is. The Jesus who died for us, who went to hell on the cross for us and who gave us the most severe warnings about hell of any religious teacher. It's the Jesus who shed his blood that that might not happen to anyone. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. Praise God for Jesus. In order to believe that once saved, always saved is true, which it isn't, one has to eliminate out the following passages from the Bible completely or twist them into meaning something they don't mean. But when a person is honest with the uh, the word of God and actually decides to believe everything God says about justification and uh, eternal salvation, as in who will or who will not enter heaven, the once saved, always saved lie doesn't stand up. It doesn't, doesn't hold a candle. Compare the OSAS doctrine to the scripture, and once saved, always saved dissolves away in the light of God's truth, if you can really be honest. So in Matthew six fourteen to 15, It states, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Verse 15, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So people who do not have their sins forgiven do not make heaven. Remember, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. 
So notice that Jesus didn't say, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Unless, of course, you're born again, because born again people are not held to the same standards as the unsaved people. Unsaved people go to hell for not forgiving, but those Christians are once saved, always saved, will not if we believe the once saved, always saved lie. They can refuse to forgive anyone they want to. It doesn't matter. They'll go to heaven no matter what. Except that Jesus says that anyone who does not forgive others will not have sins forgiven. People who do not have their sins forgiven will not go to heaven. But here's how some dance around this, right? The the once saved, always saved believers have ways to just dance around the truth of any scripture that proves OSAS is, is a lie. So watch for them. It's Jesus wasn't talking to Christians here. He was only talking to the Jews. So I guess the Jews have different roles than the rest of us. I guess Jesus did not come to earth to specifically tell everyone how to make heaven. I guess God didn't know that this was for the Jews only or he would have not had put it in the Bible. No. Matthew 10, 22, all men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Remember I said that once saved, always saved believers always have a, have a way to dance around the truth. So, so what's that dance? Well, they, they believe that they'll say that Jesus promises that Christians will stand firm to the end. If so, why would, why would he warn us to make sure we did? No need if it's a guaranteed, right? He will help us to do that if we abide in him, as he says in John. If we don't abide in him, we will not stand firm. That's why there are so many passages in the New Testament that warns us to make sure we do stand firm. So in Matthew 24, 3 to 14, and then Matthew 24, 45, 51 states, as, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, what will happen? What will be the sign of your coming and to the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom. Verse 45 says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, oh, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is uh, speaking to his apostles here. They weren't false believers. They were believers. He tells his apostles and through them us to watch out so that we're not deceived. Then Jesus says, because of the wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Unbelievers don't have love to grow cold. Only believers do. He further tells believers they must stand firm to the end to be saved. So Matthew 24, 10, 13, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Those who do not stand firm, well, according to 
once saved, always saved believers, they were never born again at all. Then to what do they have to hold? Why would Jesus be warning unsaved people to hold firm to something they've never had? He wouldn't. He's warning us to hold on to what we have until the end. Matthew 24, 45 to 51. So then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his house to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he'll cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be gnashing, weeping and gnashing of the teeth. So who's the servant? Christians are God's servants. False Christians are not. What happens to the wicked servant who decides that since his master has been gone a long time, he can do wicked things? He is cut into pieces and assigned a place with the hypocrites. Where is that? Hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So once saved, always saved believers always have a way to get around scriptures that prove there is no uh, once saved, always saved. It's called the great deflection. So the common deflection for this scripture It's the most common deflection of OSAS believers that the passage is talking about unbelievers. When in doubt, there's no way to get around the scripture. A person who is hell-bent on grasping hard to once saved, always saved will always deflect and go back to, he wasn't talking about Christians there. He's talking about unbelievers. Uh, No. Are these passages to unbelievers or false Christians? Where else in the scriptures are unbelievers referred to as servants. In the Bible, servants of God are Christians. This is to Christians. Notice also what happens to these unfaithful servants. So Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went outside to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. It's Jesus. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And again, the common deflection for this scripture is, and it's the most common deflection of OSAS believers, that the passage is talking about unbelievers. Again, when in doubt, when there's no way to get around the scripture, a person who's hell-bent on grasping at straws to once saved, always saved, will always go back to, well, he wasn't talking about Christians there. He was talking about unbelievers. Are these passages talking about false Christians or professing Christians? No, there's not. Unbelievers don't need this warning. They're already on their way to hell. They have no lamps to burn. Their master is Satan, not Jesus. The Bible doesn't call false Christians nor unbelievers virgins. The Bible calls true Christians virgins. These 10 virgins are all true Christians. Five were ready for Jesus' return and five were not. Those who were not, did not get into the kingdom in the end. They were shut out. Matthew 25, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money to the other two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey and the man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent 
went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I have harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would receive it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it back to the one who has the 10 talents for everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are these passages to unbelievers or false Christians? Where else in the scripture are unbelievers referred to as servants? Again, in the Bible, servants of God are Christians. This is the Christians. Notice also what happens to these unfaithful servants. Mark 13, 13, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Luke 12, 35 to 48 states, be dressed, ready for service and keep your tamps burning like men waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him and at an hour he is not aware of, he'll cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. As I've stated before, the Bible, does it never calls false Christians or unbelievers servants. The Bible calls Christians servants. This passage is talking about Christians. Jesus is warning Christians in this passage, not unbelievers. Unbelievers don't need this warning. They're already on their way to hell. Again, there's a second, once saved, always saved deflection. That passage says that the Christian will lose his reward, but not his salvation. Really? The scripture says the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So when we all get to heaven, there are gonna be some Christians that Jesus is going to cut into pieces? There are unbelievers in heaven with whom this person is going to be placed? No. This passage is telling the Christian who is not ready for Jesus when he returns that he, Jesus, will cut that Christian who wasn't ready into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Guess where the unbelievers are? Not in heaven. They're in hell. In John 15, verse 1, 2, 6, and 8, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The branches that Jesus is talking about here are Christians, born-again people. They're forgiven, righteous children of God. Favorite OSAS deflection? Well, he's not talking to Christians, but false Christians and unbelievers. That scripture says, off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. If anyone does not remain in me, in me, every branch in me, Christians are literally in Jesus. We're literally united to him. Our spirits are united to him. That is a real and literal truth. Unbelievers and false Christians are not in him. This passage is not written to unbelievers and false Christians. It's written only to those who are in him. Unbelievers and false Christians do not bear fruit to Jesus. Only Christians do. He is talking to Christians. He's telling those Christians, you and I, that if they bear no fruit, they will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Notice he isn't saying that their works will be burned but that they, the Christians, will be burning in fire. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's not going to be anyone burning in uh, in fire in heaven. This scripture alone should be enough for any person to say once saved, always saved doctrine is not biblical. Furthermore, Romans 11, 17 to 22, if some of the branches have been broken broken off, And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you will be cut off. So in this chapter, Paul was telling these Roman Christians, they will be saved in the end if they continue. If they do not continue in God's kindness, they will be cut off. It doesn't mean they will make heaven but not have any rewards. Those who are cut off do not make heaven. To be cut off, you would have to already be engrafted in. Paul's talking to Christians here. Again, favorite once saved, always saved deflection? Ah, he's not talking to Christians, but false Christians and unbelievers. So in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Wow. The great apostle Paul, writer of 13 books in the New Testament, says that he keeps his body under control and makes it a slave so that after he's preached to others, he will not be disqualified from the prize. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11 to 12, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Galatians 5, 16 to 21. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, 
drunkenness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, and those who live like this, and in King James Version, it says that do such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me repeat that. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this or those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If a Christian cannot lose his salvation, no matter what, Paul should have said, you people don't need to worry if you are sexually immoral, impure, if you hate, if you're jealous and so on. You'll sin in thought, word, and deed every day. It's okay. Just ask for forgiveness every night. You don't ever have to worry about being holy. Paul is telling this born again in the Galatians that they must do these things because if these Christians do these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do not inherit the kingdom of God go to hell, not heaven. If a Christian could not lose his salvation ever, then Paul is wasting his time telling these Christians they must not commit these sins. And in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds uh, because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Once you were alienated, but now you are reconciled. So Paul writes by by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, unsaved people are alienated. Only born again people are reconciled. Paul's not talking uh, to or about the unsaved people. He's talking to Christians, those who have been reconciled. He's telling Christians that we must continue in the faith. And what happens if we do not continue in the faith? What happens? 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what happens if Timothy doesn't watch his life and doctrine closely? What if Timothy doesn't endure in them? Paul says if he does not, or if he does watch his life and doctrine closely and perseveres in them, he and his hearers will be saved in the end. He indicates very clearly that if Timothy doesn't, then Timothy and his hearers will not be saved in the end. Does anyone doubt that Timothy was a born-again Christian when Paul wrote this? If once saved, always saved were true, why would why would Paul waste his time writing this to Timothy? 2 Timothy 2, 11, uh, 12. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. Paul's writing to Christians here. Some are falsely saying that this and other passages are not for true Christians. But for the professing Christians or false Christians, are, are, are false Christians in Christ? Have professing Christians died with him, will they reign with him? No, only true Christians have died with Christ and will reign with him. These passages are for us today. They're for those of us who are true Christians. In 1 Timothy 3, 6, the overseer must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Same judgment as the devil. Heaven? A bishop, overseer, pastor, they're all in the same and and not different offices. They're born again people that can become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the devil's going to hell, isn't he? Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to courage and the hope of which we boast. Well, what if we don't hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Some are falsely saying that this and other passages are not for true Christians, but for the professing Christians or false Christians. Are professing Christians a part of God's house? No. Only true Christians are a part of God's house, and only true Christians have a hope to hold on to. This is written to us today. Hebrews 6, 4-15. It is impossible for those who have been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance, 
because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. The land that drinks in the rain, often on it, and that produces a crop useful to those who, uh, for for whom farms receive the blessings of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like dear friends, we're confident of better things in your things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promises to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So in these two passages, the the writer of Hebrews is very clear. He's clearly warning Christians not to fall away. To say that once saved, always saved is true means that one must cut these passages clear out of the Bible. Truthfully, these two passages should end the OSAS debate immediately. These two passages alone should stop all the once saved, always saved false doctrine teaching right now. I shouldn't even have to quote one more passage. And some are falsely saying that this and other passages are not for true Christians, but for the professing Christians or false Christians. Is it is it possible for a false Christian to have by enlightened, to have tasted the heavenly gift, to have shared in the Holy Spirit, to have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age? No, no. These two passages are for true Christians only. This is not for false Christians. This should put an end to the false teaching of once saved, always saved. In James 1, 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And what what if that Christian doesn't persevere? Wouldn't this be a good place for James to write, if a person doesn't persevere, he wasn't a Christian to begin with because all Christians will persevere. So don't worry about it. If you're a Christian, you'll persevere, no doubt about it. That is what those who believe in OSAS would say. A person who doesn't persevere wasn't born again in the first place. That doesn't hold water. Why would James be telling unsaved people to persevere in something they don't have? Notice that James, who's writing the inerrant word of God by the Holy Ghost, didn't say that. Instead, the perfect word of God warns Christians to persevere or else. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, 
He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So keep in mind the favorite deflective steps of of the once saved, always saved believers. One, you know, the, the person wasn't born again in the first place. Or two, this isn't talking about losing salvation, but just losing rewards. In verse three, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises that through them, you may participate in divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So are we are we to understand that the person who was never born again in the first place has been given by God everything he, he needs for life and godliness? Are we to believe that the unsaved person has knowledge of him who's called us by his glory? The unsaved person participates in the divine nature? The unsaved person has escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires? Come on. Only Christians, true born-again people, true children of God, participate in the divine nature. Only Christians have escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Unsaved people have not. Peter is writing to Christians. Peter is telling Christians that they can indeed lose their entrance into heaven. If you do these things, the things Peter listed, then you will not fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. If you do not, you will not be welcomed in the eternal kingdom. Notice Peter didn't know that works were otherwise. Otherwise, he would have told us to make every effort. So Peter 2, 20 to 21, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Wow. So if they have just escaped corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who are they that have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Unbelievers? False professors? No. No one but a true believer, a true Christian, could have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the Christian's. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, warns us that Christians who are again entangled in and overcome by sin are worse off when they were at the uh, at the beginning. He said that those who do this have turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. No honest person can honestly say a Christian cannot walk away from God in light of this passage. No honest person. Unless, of course, you want to convince yourself that a Christian who has again become entangled in sin and who is worse off than he was before he became a Christian you know, and, and who's turned their backs on the sacred command are still Christians and will make heaven. Again, 2 Peter 2.21, it would have better, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. 2 Peter 3, 11, 14, and 17, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Verse 17, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure positions. What happens to those Christians that are carried away by error of lawless men? They fall from their position. Well, they don't have to worry. If we're born again, we can't fall away no matter what. Great place for Peter writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to add if it were the truth. He didn't. Instead, 
Paul told those Christians that they had better make sure they live their holy lives or they will fall away from their secure position. That's what that's why he said by the Holy Ghost make every effort to be found spotless. If you're sinning, you're not spotless. Sin creates spots. Those with spots don't make heaven unless that is corrected by repentance and stopping the sin. 1 John 2, 24 and 25. See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. So in order to remain in the Son and the Father, you must have at one time been placed into the Son and the Father. Unbelievers are not in the Son and the Father. Only Christians are. In Revelations 2, 10 and 11, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will, will uh, put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says of the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So what happens to those who do not overcome? They will taste the second death. To whom is Jesus talking? Christians, what is the second death? Hell. Once saved, always saved? Jesus doesn't know anything about that. Revelations 3, 5, he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. What about those who don't overcome? They will have their names blotted out of the book of life. Revelations 3, to the church in Laodicea, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? These are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the roller of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are a wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's an, So it's important to note that this is the resurrected Jesus talking to the Christians at Laodicea. Is this to professing, uh, professing Christians? To false Christians? Nope. Can a non-believer be hot or lukewarm? No. Unbelievers and or false Christians are cold. Only someone who's a true believer can be red hot or lukewarm. This is to true Christians today. Here's another one. Revelations 3 to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is also to Christians. Jesus says that these people need to wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Do professing Christians have anything to strengthen? Anything to die? No, only real Christians do. Jesus then says, there are Christians in Sardis 
that have not soiled their clothes. We all know that means that there are Christians in Sardis that are living holy. Do professing Christians or false Christians have garments to soil? No. Only true Christians do. We need to remember we don't get to pick and choose what passages from the Bible we like and which ones we don't like. We, we have to take everything the Bible says about any issue. I've said this to others before. There's nothing more important than knowing who will or who will not enter the kingdom of God when, when all is said and done. For that reason, I challenge everyone that listens to this podcast to go back to their Bible for the truth. Read the New Testament. List every single scripture that says anything at all about salvation, whether the scripture is talking about initial salvation uh, or, or sanctification or entering heaven. List them all. Type them all out. You tell me then, is once saved, always saved uh, doctrine uh, still true? Not if you're honest, you won't be able to. I believe the phrase once saved, always saved, which is not in the Bible, has done more damage to Christians by leading them into a, compl- a complacent safety. I'm saved. I'm okay. I'm, I'm heading for heaven. I, I hear preachers all the time talk about the finished works of Christ. It's a favorite phrase. It's not a biblical phrase. Again, because in my Bible, the book of Acts begins with Luke saying the former treaties was all about that Jesus began to do. So that Jesus began to do by going about doing good. He's still doing things for us. And if he wasn't, you'd have no one to plead for you in heaven. He's praying for you. He's still doing good. And therefore, as Christians, we're called to follow him. And far from the idea, far be it, that Christians have nothing to do, as once saved, always saved would insinuate, and accept that Jesus died for them. The New Testament has 1,100 things, 1,100 things for us to do and not do. That's part of being a Christian. There was more than 80 passages in the New Testament that warned believers to be careful and not to lose what they've found in Christ. 80 passages. I, I mentioned just a handful of them today. So my final question to you is then this. Are you running the race that God has set before you? Or are you saved regardless of how you live your life? My final statement is this. When you read God's word, read it literally. It was meant for you and I. All of it. Not just what fits into our life or our, our, our perfect mold. Our life must fit into it and Christ Jesus. So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you all again for tuning in. I hope you were touched by God through today's message in scripture. And I'd like to ask you a favor, only if you've received any value out of today's show, would you tell at least one person you know, call them, text them, email them, talk to them, tell them to give this show a listen. It may just help them in their walk with Christ. And also, I really need your support. If you could give me a quick rating on your your app, uh, your podcast app, it takes three to five seconds. I'd love that help and support from you guys, which again, will allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to reach even more lives through this broadcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can write me a quick note on www.shakenawake.com forward slash contact, or you can email me directly at ben at shaken-awake.com or even call or text me directly for any reason. The number is 407-493-3208. Again, that number is 407-493-3208. I'd love your feedback, questions, ideas, requests, criticisms, corrections, suggestions. If it's important to you, guys, it is important to me. And if you'd like to be a guest of the show, please reach out to me as well. If you have a life or eternity changing story you'd like to share, please let me know and I'll schedule you in. We don't hear enough of the truth these days or the positive ways of God and Jesus Christ. And this podcast, with your help, is going to help change that up. I'd love Love, love your help with this where you can. So next week, tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we dive into another important topic to close out season one of Shaken Awake podcast. And the topic will be how do we live a life that's pleasing to God? I'm aiming for the well and done, good and faithful servant. And I know you are as well. So next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode guys thanks for joining until next week take great care of yourself and each other and god bless you all 